0: following is a teaching that was delivered at the 2018 Volunteer Retreat at Christ the King Parish in South Bend, Indiana by Deacon Joe Dietz. While the content of this podcast is the same as that which was preached, it has been recreated for the sound quality of the podcast. Well, good morning. Before I begin, I want you to know that I was truly thrilled when Father Michael asked me to preach this retreat. But I think it's only fair that I let you know right up front that he asked me to preach for 25 minutes this morning. As good Catholics, you know that is a long sermon by Catholic standards. In spite of the risk of having you bolt for the door, I am telling you that up front for two reasons. First, I don't want you to start getting antsy around 10 minutes in thinking surely he must almost be done by now because I will just be getting started. Secondly. I'm going to ask you to pray over me, that the Lord will send the Holy Spirit upon me this morning to empower my preaching and have me deliver a message that is truly what He wants you to hear. And I figured you would pray that much harder for the Spirit's empowerment if you knew how much of your time was at stake. So with that in mind, please extend your hands and repeat after me. O good and gracious God of the universe through the intercession of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit upon Deacon Joe at this moment in time. Overcome his weakness with your strength. Let his words be your words and have them achieve your purpose in our lives. Allow him to surrender to the power of your Holy Spirit and enable his message to penetrate our hearts and minds according to your holy will and purpose. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Before I get into the content of my homily, I would like to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you all very much. On behalf of Father Steve, Father Michael, and Father Mike, as well as the parish and school staffs, thank you. You are invited to attend this day because you volunteer and provide some type, if not many types, of service to Christ the King, church, school, or both. In varying degrees, you have answered the call and have given of your time and talent in service to the furtherance of the kingdom, that portion of the kingdom that is Christ the King, parish, and school. If you remember nothing else from this morning, Remember that your service is appreciated and valued as important to the mission. As I considered what to share with you during this time of reflection, I was drawn to the opening lines of Father Paul Scalia's eulogy for his father, the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. Knowing the eyes of the nation were upon him, waiting to hear what he would say about his dad, Father Paul began his funeral homily with these words. We are gathered here because of one man, a man known personally to many of us, known only by reputation to even more, a man loved by many, scorned by others, a man known for great controversy and for great compassion. That man, of course, is Jesus of Nazareth, Just as Father Paul rightly focused the hearts and minds of those gathered to honor his earthly father back on the person to whom all honor is due. So we who serve are rightfully reminded that in spite of the distractions and the circumstances under which we give our service, ultimately it is not the school or the activity of the church, not the athletic teams, the youth group, the poor, or the seniors, or even the staff or clergy that we serve, but that one man for whom we gather, Jesus of Nazareth. And since what we give in time, talent, large or small, is a gift to Jesus, then it is best given in a spirit of humble service, because that is how he taught us to give. So during supper, fully aware that the Father had put everything into his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, he rose from supper and took off his outer garments. He took a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with a towel around his waist. So when he had washed their feet, put his garments back on, and reclined at table again, he said to them, Do you realize what I have done for you? You call me teacher and master, and rightly so, for indeed I am. If I, therefore, the Master and Teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you a model to follow, so that as I have done for you, you should also do. Amen, amen, I say to you, no slave is greater than his Master, nor any messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you understand this, blessed are you if you do it. Jesus could not have made it much clearer. Humble service is the best service. But truth be told, in a society that continuously emphasizes self, feeling good about self, positive self-image, the me generation, it can be quite a challenge to assess one's humility quotient accurately. To be honest, neither I nor anyone who has probably ever known me likely considered me a poster child for humility. But neither did I worry about being overly proud of myself either. I just kind of figured, hoped, I was in a comfortable spot, humility-wise. Until one day the Holy Spirit hit me upside of the head with Mother Teresa's humility list. Now, if we are going to look for some guidance regarding humility, we can't really do much better than St. Teresa of Calcutta. Here is a tiny nun who achieved greatness around the world obtaining, among other things, the Nobel Prize, and yet in spite of all of her accomplishments, was always thought to be a humble servant of God. Now certainly she and her sister's loving care for the poorest of the poor around the world is the epitome of humble service. But recognizing we are not all called to such work, I must say her guidelines for humility certainly gave me pause as I looked at my own attempts at service. And here they are. Number one, speak as little as possible about yourself. Number two, keep busy with your own affairs and not those of others. Number three, avoid curiosity. Number four, do not interfere in the affairs of others. Number five, accept small irritations with good humor. Number six, do not dwell on the faults of others. Number seven, accept censures Even if unmerited. Number eight, give in to the will of others. Number nine, accept insults and injuries. Number ten, accept contempt being forgotten and disregarded. Number eleven, be courteous and delicate, even when provoked by someone. Number twelve, do not seek to be admired and loved. Number thirteen, do not protect yourself behind your own dignity. Number 14, give in in discussions, even when you are right. And number 15, choose always the more difficult task. Now admittedly, some of these points are not things that are new to us. Numbers 2, 3, and 4 are simply an expansion of the age-old advice to mind one's own business. But i got to tell you, several of these really rocked my world. For starters, number seven, accept censures even if unmerited. I have to say that working in a world where we strive to be approved and to excel, being told that someone disapproves of you or your work is not easy to take, let alone getting the message undeservedly. To quietly accept such unjust censure was simply not my style. If I was wrongly accused, my defense would have been loud and clear and widely circulated. Number eight, give in to the will of others. And number 14, give in in discussions even when you are right. Now hold on. You mean we can't impose our righteous will on others? I mean, don't we often know better than they do? How are we ever going to win an argument if we give in? And what fun is there in being right if you're the only one who knows it? Number nine and number ten, accept insults and injuries. Accept contempt being forgotten and disregarded. That sounds like a fun day at the office. And number eleven, be courteous and delicate, even when provoked by someone. You probably know by my answer to number seven that I didn't do so well with this one either. Frequently I viewed provocation as simply justification for escalation. But for me the one that was truly the showstopper of them all, was number 12. Do not seek to be admired and loved. Do not seek to be admired and loved. Wasn't that the purpose of life? Isn't that why my mother wanted me to get a good report card? Isn't that why we wanted to win the championship? Isn't that why we try to please our spouses? We want to get a good job, have a nice car, a nice house, and on and on. You see what I mean about being humbled. By the time I got done reading this list, not only was I humbled by what was on it, I was also frustrated because I couldn't figure out how to improve in these areas without wanting to be admired for it. No doubt about it. Humble service, when measured with Mother Teresa's yardstick, is a challenge. I don't know about you, but when I saw this list, all I could think of was, I am never going to be a humble servant. And that is a pretty tough realization when you are a deacon and your title comes from a word that is synonymous with service. But God doesn't confront us with our weakness to beat us down, but to help us get out of our own way so He can raise us up. In her beautiful prayer, the Magnificat, the Blessed Mother, the Queen of all Saints, says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. If she, the greatest of all saints, is God's lowly servant, then what are we? But later, she says, he has scattered the proud in their conceit and has lifted up the lowly. God, in his great love, never confronts us with an opportunity to grow in virtue without revealing in his timing the means for achieving the growth he intends. But when confronted with the challenge of growing in humility, it should come as no surprise that our efforts to improve in this area must involve greater surrender to Jesus. Given that trying to do things on our own, with what we often consider our skill, our talent, and our effort, certainly involves our pride, our stubbornness, and our need for control, in direct opposition to the attitude of the humble. Humility is the beginning of effective prayer. Humble before God, we know our place, we know God's place, His power, His awesomeness, and our utter and complete dependence upon Him. Only in seeing our need are we moved to surrender. In response to my need in this area, I believe the Holy Spirit led me to the Novena of Abandonment, a prayer of surrender by Father Dolindo Rutolo, servant of God, whose cause for beatification is underway. In this nine-day series of prayers, we hear Jesus calling us to greater and greater surrender. I have provided a link to this Novena in the handout you will receive, but I wanted to share a few short sections of it with you now. Why do you confuse yourselves by worrying? Leave the care of your affairs to me, and everything will be peaceful. I say to you in truth that every act of true, blind, complete surrender to me produces the effect that you desire, and resolves all difficult situations. You are sleepless, you want to judge everything, and see to everything, and you surrender to human strength, or worse, to humans themselves trusting in their interventions. This is what hinders my words and my views. Oh, how much I wish from you this surrender, to help you, and how I suffer when I see you so agitated. Satan tries to do exactly this, to agitate you and to remove you from my protection, and to throw you into the jaws of human initiative. So trust only in me. Rest in me. Surrender to me. In everything. Repose in me, believing in my goodness, and I promise you by my love that if you say you take care of it, I will take care of it all. I will console you, liberate you, and guide you. And then each day ends with a multiple repetition of the prayer O Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. Surrender is not just the key to humble service, but to life in Christ. Service is part of our calling, but surrender is also the key to peace, hope, and love, since being free of fear also frees us up to love more completely. As we realize this need to surrender to Jesus, we should be aware that the proper disposition of being humble before God may create an obstacle to this surrender. In a world full of technological, scientific, and medical advances, it can be very easy to lose our sense of awe before our mighty God. But Scripture reminds us of our proper place. In Nehemiah chapter 9 we read, You are Lord, you alone. You made the heavens, the highest heavens, and all their host, the earth and all that is upon it, the seas and all that is in them. To all of them you give life, The heavenly hosts bow down before you. During the church's morning prayer, the words of Psalm 95 routinely remind us, The Lord is God, the mighty God, the great King over all the gods. He holds in His hands the depths of the earth and the highest mountains as well. He made the sea, it belongs to Him, the dry land too, for it was formed by His hands. And Psalm 8 continues the theme, When I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and a son of man that you care for him? Now, while it is necessary for us to recognize the awesomeness of God, to know our rightful, humble place before him, we could easily see him as remaining on a lofty throne at a distance, awesome and powerful, yes. understandably unapproachable. And while this vision of God feeds our humility, we may find it difficult to surrender our day-to-day worries and concerns to an awesome but distant God. The resolution to this dilemma begins with the words of Jesus that made it so abundantly clear that the relationship he wants with us is not a distant one, but one that is up close and personal. I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you in me that they may be brought to perfection as one, that the world may know that you sent me, and that you loved them even as you loved me. And even though we know he humbled himself becoming man to save us, that Jesus, that wonderful, loving, foot-washing Jesus, could also seem distant, if not by kingly separation, than by the passage of time, except for one most wonderful, undeniable, irrefutable truth. This incredible God of the universe, this God of history, this God of creation, this Savior Jesus Christ gave himself not only on the cross, but in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. He created a sacrament that went beyond a prayer for unity, beyond a revealed relationship in Scripture. He gave those who would come to believe in him the gift of himself in the most personal way imaginable, to be worshiped in his physical presence, consumed as food, and brought to those in need. Not once in a lifetime, not once in a year, but every day, at virtually every hour, limited only by our desire and proper disposition to receive him. Jesus makes it crystal clear that it is his desire that we believers share in the deeply intimate loving closeness that he shares with the Father, not only because of he and the Father's great love for us, but also because in entering into that love, we will give witness to the world and help to convert it. If Jesus is present in the Eucharist, and I assure you he is, then the God of the universe cares intimately about you and me. The most powerful force in existence cares enough to be continuously present in our churches and to enter us physically in communion. He cares personally and deeply for each and every one of us. He isn't far away in some unique place in the world. In spite of the vastness of his reign, we do not have a holy city. We are not called to go somewhere to see what is holiest to encounter God. For the holiest place on earth is in the presence of the Eucharist. How can we be in a holier place than in the physical presence of God himself? Samuel slept with the Ark of the Covenant. People want to see the nails from the cross. They have searched for thousands of years for the Holy Grail, the cup of the Last Supper. Yet it is here at every Mass the cup that holds the blood, this provision, this gift. This individual reception of the Eucharist can only mean Jesus wants to be personal, not distant, not removed, but available, present, intimate with each and every one of us. And because Jesus has chosen to be present in the Eucharist, it unbelievably becomes our choice and within our control whether we choose to visit Him, to adore Him, to receive Him. In His effort to seek the most personal relationship with each one of us, the Almighty Son of God makes Himself available to us at our choosing. It is this intimacy, This closeness, this undeniable proof of Jesus' love that enables each of us to hear His personal and individual call to surrender our lives completely to Him. Doing so will not only enable us to grow in humble service, but to live lives transformed by the renewal of our minds, discerning what is the will of God, what is good, what is pleasing and perfect.